Hi, I'm Amber and my website is sacredspacehealing.org and um, the healing work that I do is focused on healing core wounds, on female empowerment and on sacred union. Uh, Today's podcast is um, focused on this obsession we seem to have developed probably in the last five years or so, but it was probably building for longer with positivity and positive thinking. Um, when I first started my healing practice around 2007, 2008, uh, we, you know, that we there was a lot of, in inverted commas, New Age speak about thinking positive, and you had the Esther Hicks books, um, you had books on cosmic ordering, and what you put out, you get back. And I remember reading those books at the start of my journey, and it being a massive eye-opener for me, you know, that, that, that there was a way I could change my life, and if I had a positive attitude to life, if I was clear about the things that I wanted to manifest in my life, I could I could live a happier, more fulfilled life. And those books and those ways of um, thinking, those meditations, really were my were the start of my journey um, to, to healing my past and to moving through my shadow and then eventually to setting up my healing practice. So eight years on, um, and it's interesting now to see as a, as a healer in my practice how much things have exploded in terms of the positivity kind of um, marketplace that we have. All you need to do is go on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, any of the other websites that are out there and we are bombarded with images of positivity we either have you know memes being posted or you know quotes being posted uh, poetry um, quotes being posted a quote from Rumi a quote from uh, whoever else or we have pretty pictures or we have videos being posted and it's like we're being bombarded with this um, with this instruction, with this almost dictatorial instruction, this tyrannical um, edict that we have to be positive, we have to think happy thoughts, and if we don't think happy thoughts, somehow we're screwing up the world. And you know, I have, as well as doing the healing work, I also work creatively. I write and I paint, and um, I work in the performing arts. And I'm surrounded often by people who tell me to be positive. And I find that when I'm doing my creative work, I'm not a healer. I'm not there necessarily to heal others. I'm there to express how I feel. And I think, as complex human beings, we will go through a myriad of emotions in the course of a day. And it's healthy that we do that. It's healthy that we move through happiness and sadness and anger and passion and joy and creativity and playfulness and all of those emotions in the range of, of in the course of a day. If we stayed at one emotion throughout the whole day, we'd either be robots or we'd be drugged or on something or we would be desensitized or we would be suppressing what I often see in my healing practice is um, those that come to see me, some, you know, sometimes they will have listened to my podcasts or gone through the website or they'll have done some of their own research work or some of their own um, inner healing work and they come to me with a manuscript, a kind of script of how they feel they should talk to a healer or talk to someone that they feel is more enlightened than them, i.e. me. Even though I don't place myself on that pedestal, that pedestal is created and projected onto me and I'm given 
you know, the, the phrases and the words that are out there about positivity and empowerment and speaking one's truth and being in one's power and all this kind of stuff that really has no basis often in any kind of truth because underneath all of that is a festering wound that's looking to be healed. I see this in those that come to see me. I see this in those in everyday life that I will often encounter. And I see this in myself. Now, I think the healthiest thing that we can do with our emotions is to acknowledge what we are feeling, to notice it, but to not be consumed by it. Um, If we can notice that we are angry and then track back how that anger started, you know, what were we triggered by? Was it something someone said, something we read, a thought that we had? We are better placed to understand our emotions, our feelings, our wounds, our triggers, and then we're better placed to heal them and better placed to come into a space of balance. Our mystics, our, you know, our ancient sages were not telling us to be one thing all the time. They were educating us in how to be mindful about our emotions. And yes, what we put out into the world, we will get back. But it's a little bit more complex than that. If you're sitting thinking, if you're having negative thoughts, if you're having a bad day, you're feeling sad about something that happened to you in your past or angry about something that happened to you in your past, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to draw that anger and that sadness to you. You would then have to act on those emotions, meaning you're feeling really sad about a breakup, say, that you went through and you're feeling emotional and weepy and you go out um, to work and you're on the bus and the person next to you smiles at you. Now, if you're feeling sad and weepy and you don't allow that state to move through you and to change, you might ignore the person sitting next to you who smiled at you. In fact, you might get annoyed by that and you might push them away or ignore them and then just create more of that sadness and more of that negativity because presumably that person may then respond to your um, refusal to to move your state of emotion by mirroring back what you're giving to them. So they smile at you, you don't smile back, you tut at them, you go, what are you looking at? And they get upset and they might have a go at you, they might walk away, they might end up making you feel more sad, leaving you feeling more sad because no one can make us feel anything. But say if you had acknowledged your sadness, I'm feeling really sad today, there's something that's moving through me, it's an emotion that's moving through me. Someone comes and sits next to you and smiles. If you acknowledge that you are not the emotion, it's simply something moving through you, that emotion can now change. Someone smiles at you, you allow that smile to affect you and now you feel a little bit better. Maybe you feel happy and your emotional state has changed and it will continue to change through the course of the day because we acknowledge that we are not just one state, we are not just one emotion. In fact, we are not our emotions or our thoughts, they move through us. The only way that they become a manifestation um, or, a, or a solidification in our lives is if we act on them, if we act on our anger, if we act on our sadness, if we act on our judgments, if we act on our lack of self-love, we will make choices that are self-fulfilling prophecies. But if we acknowledge that there are emotions that are flowing through us, but we still do our best to act in ways that are loving, that are love-filled, that are joyful, that are about kind of following the, the callings of the heart, then it, it really doesn't matter It really isn't something that we need to punish ourselves for if we have a less than positive emotional state. Also, calling emotional states positive or negative is creating a polarity. There is no positive or negative. It's just an emotional state. 
So we can be happy and we can be sad. They're not positive or negative. We've just been told that they are. All they are are emotional states. Out of sadness can come great creativity, can come great soulfulness, can come great learning. And out of happiness can come great carelessness. Can We can cause pain to others through our own happiness because we can be um, so in our kind of love bubble or our happiness bubble that we're unaware of the suffering of others. What this has created in terms of this sort of positivity mafia that we have, you know, this tyrannical positivity czars that that go around telling us that we must think positive thoughts, is we have become a society that refuses to engage in emotions that we feel are beneath us. So we are told to cut ourselves off from people that bring us down. I don't want to be around someone who brings down my vibe. I don't want to be around someone who doesn't make me laugh, who doesn't make me smile, who doesn't make me feel filled with love. I don't want to have a friendship with someone who doesn't make me feel good. I don't want to be in a relationship with someone who isn't, you know, a positive influence in my life. Now, of course, the the kind of authentic truth of that is we don't want to be in relationship with those that belittle us, that um, are abusive towards us, that, you know, drain us in some way and give us nothing in return. But it's a balance because we do want to be in relationship with a complete human being and that means that sometimes your best friend or you know your lover or your partner or your family member is going to have a happy day but they're going to have other days when they're not happy when they're in pain or they're angry or they're sad or they they, they need you more than they normally do they're, they're childlike and if we dismiss their needs and go oh god I can't be around you when you're like that now that's just bringing my vibe down we are refusing to engage in the complexity of human relationship human relationship is this journey we go on a journey with another in our connection with them we go on a journey we we go through the highs and the lows we don't sanitize that the moment we sanitize that is the moment that we are afraid to reach into the own depths of who we are the depths of our emotional experiencing we are able as low as we can go is as high as we can go And if we're not able to be comfortable with our own shadow aspects, with our own less than joyful emotional palette, then we're unable to experience that with another. So we sanitize the relationships that we have. If we've not really sat with our own sadness or our anger or our rage or our jealousy or our um, resentment or whatever it is, if we've not sat with those aspects of those demons within us and really just observed them, we are unable to then sit with another when they're experiencing that. We want to change it. We want to shift it. We want to heal it. We want to get away from it. We want to make it something different rather than observing it. The greatest gift that we can give another, and indigenous peoples know this and communities around the world know this when they sit in circle, the greatest gift that you can give another is to is to allow them to feel seen and heard. So we don't seek to change another. We don't seek to give them a solution, to change them, to fix them, uh, to silence them, to elevate them. We just see them and hear them for where they are in that moment, whether they be in floods of tears or in fits of laughter. It's an, it's an indigenous tradition and I think it's starting to make its way now into lots of circles and lots of different um, variations and of course there are pros and cons to that but in indigenous circles you sit in a circle and of course the idea of the circle is that all are equal and um, a talking stick is passed around so no one speaks until they have the talking stick. It can be a truth stone, it can be a talking stone, it can be anything that sort of, sort of symbolizes that it's your turn now to speak. 
And as that's passed around, the person who has the object then speaks from their heart of how they're feeling. It's a sharing. It. You would start your day like that. Maybe you would end the day like that also. How am, I, how am I feeling? What's moving through me today? And that's shared with the circle. And the circle listens. And they listen with their hearts, not with judgment, not we're trying to fix, not we're trying to give remedy, but with their hearts. And once the person has finished speaking, the stick or whatever the object is, is passed on. And I've sat in circles where I've held circles and sat in circles where sometimes the object comes around and the person holding the object doesn't actually have the words. And we just sit in silence with them and we feel the energy of what they're giving out into that circle and we accept it. I've sat in circles where people have been in floods of tears or they've um, shared something positive or they've shared something um, painful or they've shared something uh, joyful and I've been in circles where others have interrupted and felt that they needed to fix them. The most healing circles for me both as a space holder and simply as as a as a recipient although even when you're space holding you're still a recipient are those circles where I have felt that I've just been listened to that that there's been a heart listening and that no one has tried to fix me or offer me a solution oh have you thought of doing this what about doing this maybe you could do this often we're not looking for solutions I know that when I'm having a grumpy bad an inverted commas day I'm not looking for anyone to take that away I don't want someone to give me a solution I don't want someone to make it better I just want to be heard and acknowledged oh you're having a day what do you need do you need to be left alone do you need to be taken out of that state and oftentimes I just need it to be acknowledged that that this is where I'm at that I'm this is a moment that I'm experiencing I have found so often in life, in interactions and conversations, that when the conversation gets to a slightly deeper place about, you know, really truthful emotions, someone will invariably change the conversation and make it something lighter, something fluffier, create a joke, you know, take, take the depth out of it. We're, we're missing opportunities to experience the depth of life because when we can go to those deeply inadverted commas dark places we are better placed to go to the places of light and joy and love if if we can grieve and rage and um submerge ourselves into those spaces of perceived pain think about how much more deeply we can love and connect um in the flip side of that my fear around all of this, it's not really even a fear, it's just kind of a, an observation, is that we are becoming surface beings that only want to deal in surface emotions. So, you know, if we look, if we turn on our television screens or we go to the cinema, everyone's Botox to the hilt these days. So we don't actually see emotion on people's faces. They're not only are they Botox, they're then, um, you know, airbrushed and perfected in the in the in the post-production process so we never get to see um in magazines newspapers television or on on the big screen a face that is experiencing emotion and the the kind of the um the extent of what that's like they i remember back in the day i remember when i was growing up and i'm watching amazing um 
drama on television I remember watching truly madly deeply this incredible film with Juliet Stevenson and Alan Rickman and there's a scene in that film where Juliet Stevenson is mourning the death of her her love her beloved and how much she misses him and she's talking to her therapist about how much she misses him and she breaks down and it's a really messy breakdown scene of her crying it's snotty there's tears it's not beautiful or attractive in sort of a stereotypical way and yet it's incredibly beautiful because she's so vulnerable in that moment and so real now these days a scene like that in most mainstream television or cinema would give us a few glycerin tears and absolutely no wrinkles or lines on the face. The actress or actor would not stop looking beautiful. We would just know that they were feeling upset because some music would come in and indicate that they were upset and a few tears would roll down their face, but we wouldn't feel the full brunt of the of the emotion of what they were feeling. So we're desensitized and we're suddenly there's suddenly this kind of um, disconnect that, that because we're not being told that those emotions are acceptable, palatable, attractive, we then go into our everyday lives and we don't want to experience those emotions from people around us. We don't want our lovers to break down in front of us and get snotty and angry and messy. We, oh, that's too much. It's too intense. We don't want our friends to be doing that. We don't want our co-workers to be doing that. Suddenly everything has to be compartmentalized into beauty and perfection and positivity. And the sadness of that is that we have taken taken some universal spiritual truths and allowed them to become manipulated into a form of uh, control. If we cannot plummet our depths of our shadow, we'll never reach the heights of our brilliance. We'll always stay somewhere in a middling ground and we'll never really reach the heights of what we're able to achieve. This is why in shamanism, um, but also, you know, in ancient mythology, there is there is the story of the initiation. Of the the hero or the heroine goes into the underworld, deep into that space of darkness, loses themselves, fights these demons, these monsters, and comes out the other side and finds everything that they'd ever been looking for. But they appreciate it so much more because they had experienced the very opposite of the very thing that they were seeking. These days, we want a quick fix. We want to take a pill. We want to go on a reality TV show and get famous. We want to listen to a meditation. We want to go to a class and be there. I'm starting to lose count of the number of times I hear from clients, I really don't have the time to, to spend on too many sessions. What's the quickest way that I can get to where I want to get to? And sadly, I often hear that when it comes to sacred union. What's the quickest way that I can meet my beloved? What's the quickest way I can meet my, in inverted commas, twin flame or soulmate? How can I get there as quickly as possible? And my very simple blunt answer to that is there is no quick way. If you're looking to kind of, you know, leapfrog over the shadow aspects of yourself and life, then you have not experienced the depth of the underworld and therefore you cannot possibly hope to experience the heights of that which you are seeking which is unconditional once in a lifetime love how can you possibly appreciate that and be able to handle the energy of that unless you have traveled deep into the lower world deep into the underworld 
It's an important part of the human experience. Our ancestors would go out and sit out on the land and fast and meditate and pray and give offerings to the land for days and nights on end so that they could um, not only clear themselves of any baggage that may be weighing them down, but so that they could get clarity on their way forward in life, but also so they could go through that mini death and be born again. We don't want to die anymore we want to live as long as we can and look as beautiful as we can and be immortalized in some way we have a fear of dying and yet there are many deaths in all the greatest initiations in our lives there are many moments where we have to surrender and let go of everything in order to birth something greater when a woman gives birth and you know cesarean and um uh, anesthetic and gas and air and all this stuff was not what our ancestors did so when a woman gives birth it's her greatest act of surrender it's her mini death as she reaches that crescendo of pain and joy and bliss and desire and fear all of these emotions mix through her and eventually she has to surrender because if she doesn't surrender that baby's not going to come out of her when we come into union with someone and there is that act of penetration, we have to surrender or the penetration will never happen and we'll never reach the heights of ecstasy that we are seeking. We will forever remain in the kind of preamble to it. Um, when we go through any kind of creative process, there's often that kind of death where we have to let go of the things that we've held on to that aren't going to serve us in this creative process. That's why artists are constantly reinventing themselves because if we carry on doing the same thing all the time for fear of letting go, for fear of dying, nothing new is ever going to be birthed. And in order to die, we have to be prepared to go to those deep, dark spaces in us and not put a positive, happy, bullshit face on it. One of the most frustrating things that I find in everyday life is being told by others what my emotional state should be. That I should be more happy, I should be more positive, I should be more whatever it is. When anyone says that to me, not only does it irritate me and then make me feel like I've been put in a prison of some kind, but when I distance myself away from that, I ask the question, why should I be that and who do I need to be that for? And the answer usually is, that person is asking me to be something so they can feel more comfortable. Not me, so they can feel more comfortable. Because my emotional palate is making them feel uncomfortable. It's triggering something in them. Now, when I come across people that are angry or sad or going through some emotional state, it's very rare that I want to change that emotional state for them. I may want to make it a little bit more comfortable. I may give them a hug or get them a cup of tea or chuck a you know a meditation their way or something that they might want to think about that might assist them in getting out of this this um fog that they might find themselves in but it's really rare now that I want to change their emotional state if you're angry you're angry and I'm okay witnessing your anger I don't need to get involved in it and I don't need to get triggered by it and I don't need to be at the receiving end of it I'm okay witnessing it if you're sad I'm okay witnessing your sadness I don't need to change it I don't need to take it on I don't need to rescue you. If I'm witnessing your happiness, I don't need to suddenly be happy also. I don't need to bring you down. I can witness it. It's been quite a journey to get there and it's not, you know, I'm sure I slip up plenty of times, but it's been a really long journey for me to get to the place where I'm happy to witness another person in their emotional state and not try and change them. But what I find is that 
it's rare that our interactions are like this on an everyday level. And I tend to find that we are so busy trying to shape and mold our environment and shape and mold other people around us so we can feel more comfortable that we've become lazy in doing that inner work. The inner work is when you are in a situation that makes you feel uncomfortable, it's not because the other person needs to change in some way. Maybe they do. Maybe they do need to be more mindful. Maybe they do need to be more um, happy or less angry or whatever. That's not your job. Your job is to go away and say, how could I have responded differently in a way that was beneficial to me? in a way that was loving towards me, in a way that was something that would be empowering to me so that I wouldn't be so affected by this other person's emotion. Why did their emotion trigger me? Why did I feel the need to change them? Why did I feel the need to attack them? Why did I feel the need to rescue them? These are the questions that we have to ask ourselves every day. This is why we do meditation. This is why we have a practice. So we can ask ourselves these questions. What tends to happen is we don't have a practice. We wake up in the morning, I say this in so many podcasts, we wake up in the morning, we have a cup of tea, we listen to some music, you know, we have a fag, whatever it is, and off we go, carrying yesterday's stuff, carrying the stuff from our dreams, off we go, out into the world. The world happens and we try and fix it and mould it to make ourselves feel more comfortable, we get frustrated sometimes when it doesn't happen, happy when it does. And then at the end of the day, we're a little bit burnt out by it all, we go for a drink, we have a spliff, we... we pick someone up in a bar, we go see our partners, we whatever. We do whatever it is that we feel we need to do to feel good. But what we're never really doing is coming back to ourselves and saying, how can I take inventory of my day today? What could I have done differently? How could I have responded differently? And how could I improve on my day tomorrow? This is what mindful living is about. It's not about sitting there saying mantras to yourself as in, I am beautiful, I am lucky, I am abundant. And thinking that magically that's going to create that in your life. I am positive. Let's be positive. Let's just think positive thoughts. Just creates a a society of zombies that are not really looking at their shadow. And so what happens when you don't look at your shadow is you see it in everyone else around you. You get triggered by everyone else's stuff because it's reminding you of the stuff within you that you haven't looked at. You know, you know that everyone that you come into contact with is a mirror. They're showing you the stuff that you haven't looked at in yourself. When you take inventory at the end of the day, when you start your day mindfully, you're aware of this. You're aware that someone is triggering you. You're aware of how you can respond to that trigger. When you don't take inventory, you want to fix everyone around you because you don't want to be reminded of the stuff that's in you that you haven't looked at. And yet that is our responsibility as humans. Our responsibility as humans is not to be positive and happy in inverted commas all the time. Our responsibility as humans is to be mindful in our interactions with ourselves and with others to the best of our abilities. Our responsibility as humans is to be truthful to the best of our abilities and to be loving to the best of our abilities. Our responsibility as humans is to be as kind and compassionate to others, ourselves and this planet to the best of our abilities. However that manifests, compassion in a day for you may look like having a quiet day, keeping yourself to yourself, not making much noise. Our responsibility as humans is not to go out there and be positive, happy uh, Stepford wives. That's not our responsibility. That's bullshit. So I want to I stick a pin in, in that bubble of bullshit that, that has been parading around for a very long time. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be grumpy. 
It's okay to feel lost. It's okay to feel frustrated. It's okay to feel unhappy. It's okay to honor how you feel. Do so mindfully. Have practices in place that help you to transition through these emotions. Don't choose to discard them or put them in a box or label them. See them as something that is moving through you and as quickly as it arrived, it can pass also. It would be wonderful if we would all go out into the world singing and dancing and clapping and loving all the time. But we'd get tired of that. You know, the utopia of that would disintegrate. We need the highs and the lows in terms of balance. Um, and the more we deny the lows, the more we don't want to go there, the, the quicker our utopia is going to become uh, a nightmare. My suggestion to any that have listened to this podcast and if any of my rantings resonate is that find a praxis in your life that helps you take inventory of your day and that helps you start your day with clear intention whether it's journaling or meditation or or, um, or or some other form, it will stand you in really good stead. My other invitation is for you to embrace the emotions as they move through you in the course of a day and to see that as manner. Because from that storehouse of emotions, you are better placed to love, you are better placed to create, you are better placed to be a parent, to be a lover, to be a, a child, to be a friend, to be an artist. You are better placed for so much more because you are experiencing the richness of life. Do not deny yourself the richness of these experiences. Just know that you are passing through them and they are passing through you. And in that way, we keep the cycles turning. Otherwise, what we're asking for is for it to be summer all the time. We're asking for it to be daylight all the time. But we need nighttime. We need winter. We need autumn. We need the sun and the moon. We need balance. If anything has resonated, my website is www.sacredspacehealing.org. There's information on all the healing work that I offer there, which is predominantly on Skype or Zoom. And there's other podcasts that you can listen to as well, um, as well as some stuff that you can read on the blog page. Wherever you may be in your journey, take good care of yourselves. Until the next time, so it is and so it shall be.